Hello and welcome to the Ray Show Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Ray, and holy shit, we've got a cool episode for you today. We've got Fee Wavel from the Tubes. Yes, how excited I can hear the screams and the cheers out there in uh, podcast land. Uh, so yeah, super cool guest on the podcast today. Super cool chat and uh, one of my heroes, as mentioned, Fee Wabel. And we will be getting to that very soon, but just want to thank everyone for all the amazing response we had to the promo. Um, as some of you know, we're going to be doing three of these, once a, one a month from here throughout the end of the year. So the Halloween-themed one, well, they're all kind of Halloween-themed, are up, is up, uh, but we'll have the uh, other two parts to you in November and December. So thanks so much for supporting us with that. It was so much fun. We got to uh, debut it at the Cine Drive-In um, here in Athens, and uh, it was just super cool to see that up on the big screen before the Lost Boys. So you got one more chance this weekend where Athens Cine will be doing uh, Halloween 1 and 2 uh, at the drive-in, that is, not at the uh, uh, regular uh, theater. Um, but come on out and have a good time with us and uh, watch some horror movies. Uh, but this week, I am so excited to be talking to this guy. I mean, just a legend in every way and a super cool dude in, you know, unimaginable ways. So uh, let's uh, let's get to this talk right now with Fee Wavell of the Tubes. Today on the show, folks, we are damn fortunate to have singer, songwriter, and all-around badass Fee Wavell of the Tubes on Hello, Fee, and welcome to the Ratio Podcast. How are you doing, sir? I'm good, Johnny. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent since I'm talking to you, man. I, I'm telling you, somewhere in the cosmos, I'm just, the younger me is just freaking out, you know, just losing his mind. <laughs> um, but, All right, uh, man. I want to get started on, you're about to embark on a very special tour kicking off October 14th in Chicago, in which the Tubes will be performing the 1981 Masterpiece. The Completion Backward Principle in its entirety. This was your yeah. first record for Capital after Parting Way and M. So, so please, if you would, take me back to your mindset right when this record was released and you were about to initially tour it. Where was your head at then? Uh, well, you know, we uh, we were we were pretty excited about it because you know we had it, it kind of our our whole scene kind of got elevated because, you know, we were with A&M for five albums. We never really had a big hit. We, we had a great uh, touring reputation right. and we were playing like, you know, we were playing like 1500 seat theaters, 2000 seat theaters, kind of venue like that. And then we went to Capitol and, uh, and we, we met David Foster and we put this record together and immediately it, 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 when it just took off and talk to you later was a big hit and don't want to wait anymore was a hit and and it was like number one on the rock charts talk talk to you later and number one in 17 countries it, it wasn't the first single that capital released in uh the usa but uh but the the whole thing kind of just took a a, a huge leap all of a sudden instead of playing these little theaters we're playing like hockey rinks and basketball courts and you know ten thousand seaters and uh and we put you know we put together a whole 
we had never done that before. We we took out our own set and our own lights and spotlights, and we put together a whole gigantic blue to uh, coincide uh, with the with the completion backward colors, and we put together a gigantic show with just uh, so the whole thing kind of just it kind of in in one release everything just kind of got elevated overnight and uh we were so excited and uh you know we did a lot of rehearsing and we had this we had this set made that were ra- you know it was in retrospect uh don't make round sets cuz they're really hard to pack into a truck right <laughs> and, and uh but we had these giant towers you know that were like 10 feet around 10 feet in diameter and 30 feet high uh one on each side of the stage with a spot uh a spotlight hanging from the top of them and then we had two smaller towers that were only about six feet by 20 feet high in the so and it was all with big blue drapes and oh it was and we made these uh, these rolling platforms, like the drummer was on a round rolling platform, and the two keyboard players were on round rolling platforms, so we could just move everything around. And uh, uh, gosh, it was amazing! It was just in- incredible that first completion backward tour, and uh, and so that you know that that uh, everybody was just you know completely overjoyed. And uh, and we had a you know the record company helping us, and we had big radio, and we had you know A and R guys and publicity, and oh, everything just kind of took a gigantic uh, step upward for us. And uh, so we were, I, you know, needless to say, we were pretty jazzed. Right, right. And you mentioned playing theaters and things like that. It's you guys had put into the hard work. The hard work had been done, and when you have the opportunity and you have the ideas like you guys have had and have, to see it be able to be able to put up in such a grand fashion, I mean, I can't even imagine the buzz on that. Now, Yeah, it was. And it, it, this it was is great. a great choice to play in its entirety, too. It's, it's, um, there's so many ebbs and flows on its 39 and a half minutes. It's, it's a real journey. What were the Yeah, it is. It's it's you know, and it's such a great opening. I mean, we used to play Talk to You Later as the last song, you know, it was the second encore. And now we open the show with Talk to You Later. We actually opened the show with Talk to You Later. Well and you know, we play the album first, right, right. in order. So Talk to You Later and Sushi and Amnesia, Mr. Hate, Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, uh but then we do a repeat, uh, you know, we can't really end without Talk to You Later because everybody wants to sing along. So we do a reprise at the end of the show again with Talk to You Later. And, uh, but it's, it's just, uh, it's a freight train, boy. This show, you just start and you just, you know. And then at the end of the, after we play this 10 songs on the album, you know, we have, uh, uh, a big drum solo and they, you know, Prairie goes on and on and on. We do a big drum solo and then I go change and we come back out and do a bunch of, you know, classic. We do What Do You Want From Life and Bondage and, you know, White Punks on Dope and She's a Beauty and, you know, there's another hour of <coughs> of, of music. Uh, 
to go after that. And so it's a, it's a really good show. We, you know, we've never, so many bands have done this. And for years we kind of thought, no, let's not do that. You know, it's so tired, you know, they're doing their whole album and, uh, uh, and, but, but we kind of, we kind of came around to the idea because, you know, they kept, uh, they kept asking us to do it, and they wanted to do it, and we made a deal with Universal even, and they reprinted the vinyl album and remastered it and reprinted it and changed it to a fold-open cover, changed the whole package, and, and put, in, put in a blue plastic vinyl uh, or blue vinyl record. So we got a lot of, you know, we got a lot of encouragement and uh and the management wanted to do it, and oh, so it's all just kind of fell into place here, and it's been great. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's so awesome, and it's like you just said, it's a freight train of a record. It's almost a set within itself, but to have those classics, I didn't think people would let you out of town if you didn't play "She's a Beauty" or "White Punks on White Punks on Dope." Um, but going, you know, one of the songs I want to mention on that record on the uh, on the completion backward principle is "Don't Want to Wait Anymore." I had it on in a very good sound system the other night, just super loud. That song is just devastating. How proud are you oh, of that song? I, I, you know, I uh, I wrote the lyrics to that song with Vince Welnick, our our departed keyboard player, yes. and it's funny because. Uh, when we first back in back in 1980, when we first went to Capitol Records, radio was kind of uh, uh, infatuated with big rock ballads, and everybody wanted a big rock ballad. And you know, Journey had a big rock ballad hit, and REO Speedwagon had a big rock ballad hit, and the record company, you know, uh, executives told David, you know, we'd really like for that first single to be a big rock ballad. And, and when he came up, when David Foster came up to uh, San Francisco, to, you know, to sit around and work on songs and, and, uh, and, and you know, we, we, he had just come from uh, the album before that David did was Boogie Wonderland with Earth, Wind, and Fire. And he had had a big hit with a ballad there after The Love Is Gone. And so he came up, and, you know, we thought, you know, this, we always kind of loved doing R&B stuff, but had never done a lot of it. And we thought this was such a great pairing. And he had never done rock and roll, never done a rock and roll album. And he was so excited to, to delve into, you know, a rock band's type material. And, uh, and then and he came up and, you know, and we, we played him the songs we had, you know, we had Amnesia and we had Mr. Hate and, Attack of the 50-Volt Woman and Matter of Pride, and we had all these songs. And he goes, well, you know, uh, you, you guys don't really have any ballads. And the record company is looking for a big rock ballad as the first single. And we just went, what? Really? Uh, you know, we're, we, we're really not a, much of a ballad band. I mean, we don't really have many ballads. We had a... Uh, we did a ballad on the on the previous album on remote control. We did Love's a Mystery, and but we hadn't up up to that point we hadn't done a lot of ballads, and uh, or written a lot of ballads. And he goes, well, you know, what do you got? And so Vince Wellnick uh, goes, well, you know, I have I have this kind of progression 
let let me play it for you. And he started playing the chord progression for Don't Want to Wait Anymore. And David went, oh, my God. Oh, and then he kind of did his magic where he, you know, he David was of the, uh, he, he always used to say, you know, if it doesn't pay off, it's not working. Okay? So the song has to pay off. You have to have beginning, middle, and end with a big payoff. And whatever that's going to be, whatever it, you know, double chorus or a mod- modulate up in, in the key uh, or something. And he, uh, Vince started playing this song for him and he went, oh my God, this is great. This is, this is, this is, and we're going, what, really? And he goes, yeah, listen to this. And then he sits down at the, at the piano and, and he kind of, you know, he like instantly learns the song and then he, he kind of modulates it and and raises the key up toward the end toward the out chorus and and uh and brings the whole thing and he goes there you go and oh and we're just sitting there stunned you know completely stunned and and so uh i start writing lyrics for it and uh uh so uh I think I had just seen a movie. I, I just saw a movie called Swept Away, which is like a movie about uh, of the beach or a desert island or something like that. And it kind of inspired me, and I kind of wrote the lyrics right away to it. And uh, but that song, I mean that that's the that's you know with, for me that's one of the hardest songs to sing. It's oh, it's I a can only real, It's a it's a real you know, gut wrencher. And, uh, uh, you know, you know, I have a funny story about this song, which I don't tell very often. Uh, we, we were in the studio and we had done the basic track for the song and I had written the lyrics and I went in and I did the lead vocal on the song. And, uh, uh, and I thought it was pretty good, and we and David thought, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a great. That's great. And then uh, uh, one night we're in LA in the studio, and it's it's a late night, and I'm not there, and it's just David Foster and Umberto Gatica, and they're working on, you know, back then you only had 24 tracks, and so you had to combine stuff in order to get more tracks to record on. You know what I mean? Like if you had 12 tracks of drums, that only left you 12 tracks for everything else and vocals and backgrounds right. and guitars. And, and so you had to combine that down to two tracks, uh, which kind of left you without the ability, you know, to change or tweak or change levels. Or, but that's what you had to do back then. You know, today with Pro Tools, you don't ever, you know, can do as many tracks as you want to do. And, uh, but anyway, they were there combining. And, uh, so uh, late that, you know, and they were there late at night. And so about midnight, Bill comes in. And Bill has, has been out on the town and, you know, bar hopping. And he's, uh, he's pretty wasted. And, he's, and, he, and he sees David and, and Umberto, and he goes, you know, man, I, I haven't got to sing. He usually, up to that point, Bill would always sing one or two songs on the record. Right. And... You know, it wasn't just always me singing every song, the lead vocal. And so he goes, I, I don't have anything to sing on this record. And he's all, you know, moaning and crying and butthurt. And, and, he's, and, and he goes, I want to I wanna try singing Don't Want to Wait. 
and uh, and they went, you know, and they're, you know, okay, Bill, okay, whatever you want, and, and they said they put up a mic and they put in, you know, said, okay, go on and do it, and and uh, <laughs> and so in one take, you know, in the middle of the night, Bill puts down a lead vocal that just blew me off the table. It was. I mean, that's his. That's his voice on the record. It's not right. me. Right. And uh, and it, it, I mean, he sang it like his blood, like his throat was going to explode. And he has the rasp, and he's got the gravel, and he's just blood spewing out of his mouth as he sings. And uh, and he just puts it on a track that just stuns both David and Umberto. And then he, he goes, okay, well, I'm done, and he leaves. And then the next morning, we're back in the studio, and I come into the studio, and uh, I go, hey, what's happening? And David kind of takes me aside. He goes, Afi, uh, you know, Bill came in last night, and he's he was upset because he hadn't gotten to sing a song on the record. And, and, he, and he laid down a track on Don't Want to Wait. And I'm going, what? That's my song, man. Dude, that's my song. I wrote that song. And he goes, well, let me play it for you. And I said, okay. And, and I was, you know, fully ready to shoot it down. Believe me. And he plays me the track. And I just stood there with my mouth open going, oh, my God. Right. Oh, my God. I, 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 he's, he completely blew me off the table. Unbelievable. Wow. And I just went. I, I went okay. I, I, I can't. I can't. I got nothing. I can't fight this. I can't top this. This is amazing. I don't know where he got this. You know where he pulled this out from. But this is. You know. You got to. We got to use this. So just hit hit delete on my track. And uh, so and so now you know uh, I sing this song. I mean I still I I get to sing it now. Bill's. You know, Bill's uh, wife won't let him tour, and we're a five-man band now, and uh, and so I get to sing it every night, and I try and I try to, you know, recreate that vocal that he did on the record, and uh, that's why I say it's it's one of it's one of the most difficult songs for me to sing, and uh, but it's my favorite song to sing, and it just and Roger does a solo uh, at the end. Of the of the song that just unbelievable, you know, just curl your hair. It's amazing. And you know, I I know I was comparing the studio version with your live versions, and you and you nail it, my friend. And it's such it's such so magical to see, you know. Um, and that was one of my questions about the uh, leading into um, how you guys. What you mentioned, the story just gave me chills up my spine. When you're willing to take let him do the lead on this. It's it's just show, so says something about the tubes and just just the te- the the aspect and why this record's so successful. Um, but getting back to David Foster for just a second, I mean he has a re- reputation of being very meticulous. You guys obviously were, oh, yeah. had a reputation of being very hard workers. So how did uh-huh. the, how did that how did you guys approach his mesh? Well, I mean. Uh, uh, you know, at the at, we had just been released from A and M, 
and we had just been, done the Remote Control album with Todd Rundgren, and he's a much different type of producer than David Foster. And, uh, and you know, we, got, we didn't think we'd ever get a chance to do a record again because everybody in the business turned us down pretty much. We had not sold a lot of records at, at AM. and we never had a, a single that I think, think went above top 20 or something or top 40. And uh, so, and, you know, they had the sound scan. So everybody knew what the deal was. They knew where you were. I mean, we had an incredible live reputation. But that, you know, record company doesn't care about that. They want us, They want you selling records and getting on the right radio. And uh, so they took a chance on us at Capitol. And, uh, uh, and we met with David Foster. And we were huge Earth. I mean, we were huge fans from the beginning. I mean, we were big Earth, Wind, and Fire fans. And we really didn't know a lot about him other than he just did Boogie Wonderland. Are you kidding me? And we get this guy. And... Uh, and and he was a you know he was a taskmaster. It was he was one of those guys where uh, he would he would he would take advantage of any means to get to an end. And it was all about the end product. That's where he was at. If it, if it turned out great, he didn't care how you got there. He didn't care what you had to do to get there. And I know that. Uh, I mean. And we were not used to that kind of, 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 you know, work ethic, that kind of uh, uh, demand. You know, like uh, the first vocal I did with David was Amnesia. It took me about a week to do the lead vocal on that one song. That's insane. And, you know, I would, wow. I would go out there and sing, and three or four hours until I was fried, and then... You go, okay, well, let's come back tomorrow. And I went, really? Okay, and then tomorrow, and then start over. Then you start over again. Okay, And I did that for like a week. And, you know, toward the end of the week, he was going, well, okay, we got one verse here, we've got a verse here, let's go back and do the chorus again. And, uh, you know, so he, I mean, I have to say, he made me a better singer, because when by the time we got done with that record, Instead of taking a week to do a lead vocal, you know, I could do it in like two days. Oh yeah! And uh, I bet your chops uh, were so razors. It, was, it yeah. was worth. It was definitely worth the work, and uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm I I think that's definitely our best record of all time, and uh, I think that uh, I mean, like I said, most a lot of people have done the do the whole album thing, you know. They've done it. It's not a new concept, and this was the only record that we thought would live up to doing the whole thing. And uh, oh. I don't know what we'll do on our, our next tour. We might try to do uh, outside, inside. Uh, I don't know, or remote control. Maybe I don't know what we're going to do uh, for the next tour or, or for, for the next show. We always change our show. You know, we, we we'll do it. We'll do a show for about. I don't know, a year, year and a half, and we'll play a whole bunch of different venues. And then when it comes time to be going back again to do the same venue again, you know, it, you better find it, you better get a new show because yeah. we don't want to go back and do the same show again. And uh, we had been doing this show uh, through 2019, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and then 
when the pandemic hit, you know, we thought, you know, after 19 months, we're going, well, what, should we just, should we throw out this show and do a new show? And But it was so difficult and, and you know, there's restrictions and masks and and impossible to fly. And I live in L.A. All the other guys still love, live up in San Francisco. And, you know, it usually takes us a good solid two weeks or more of rehearsal to put a brand new show together. And uh, so we thought, okay, well, then the gigs started to come in, and we realized, well, there's only one show here of this whole run in October that we've done the show at before. Only There's only one, the, the show in, like, uh, Buffalo or North Tonawanda. That is the only one. And all the rest are dates we've never done before. Oh, that's so 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 we just said, okay, fine. Let's just continue with with uh, don't want, with uh, completion backward principle, and you know I don't have to rush out and figure out new costumes and new characters and <laughs> rehearsal and new songs. And so we went, okay, fine. We'll just do it till you know. We'll probably do it till the end of the year this year, and then for 2022, we'll probably figure out a new show, and. Uh, well, you know, and we, we, our shows are kind of thematic. Like the show before this was called Mondo Pulp, and it was kind of a tribute to Quentin Tarantino and <laughs> Pulp Fiction, which is like our all-time favorite movie. And, uh, you know, before that, we did like a Fellini show, La Dolce Vita, we called it. And then we, we were always big fans of Fellini and Satyricon and, and Marcello Mastriani and Sofia Loren, and, and oh, so oh, we did like a whole Italian theme kind of show, and uh, uh, one and we you know we did a Western show with a uh, in Ennio Morricone show where like a Clint Eastwood spaghetti Western show. So, uh, so you know we're always we're always searching for you know uh, years ago we did a. Uh, 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 a Mad Max show with you know with all with all the kind of Thunderdome and that kind of uh, so I mean we just I don't know what the next one will be you know we'll we'll something will strike our fancy and we'll kind of do a whole theme show about it. Well, just what you ran through—that's what's so cool about the tubes. Everything you just said and putting this level of energy and caring about the fans like you guys do. I mean, it's just rare in this day and age. It's just so amazing. Um, I got to ask you, you know, you've been so kind to talk to us today. I got one more question for you and then a listener question, if you would be so kind to answer sure. that. Um, sure, no problem. But getting back to the record, uh, the concept, the artwork and everything just seems like a brilliant forecast of what was was coming down the pike in the in the in the 80s how did you decide to poke that well-deserving bear well uh, i'll tell you uh uh you know we thought it's it's kind of funny in, in retrospect we thought back then oh the record companies be, be becoming so corporate you know it's all about these kind of formulaic songs rock ballads, formulaic rock songs. It's all so corporate. And we kind of thought, let's do a parody of that, of this whole corporate. And we found this record. <clears throat> we found a record in an old 
I think it was a 78, I think, God, in a, in a used record store. We found this record that was called The Completion Backward Principle by this guy named Stanley Patterson. And Stanley Patterson had put this, this principle together to present to sales forces at, at big companies. He would go to their company and he would do this presentation and try to, uh, try to uh, convince these people that, you know, you have to visualize the completed sale first. And, and this was back when, this is 50s, this is back when you're, you've got door-to-door guys, right. you know, selling vacuum cleaners and hairbrushes and encyclopedias door-to-door. So he would say, you know, before you ever walk up to the door, you know, visualize the completed sale and work backwards from there, the completion backward principle. And so he would go around uh, teaching sales forces at companies how to visualize this. And imagination creates reality. And there's, I do a big, I do a big, I do a couple of big speeches in the show about that that came from his record and uh and the whole kind of corporate idea with you know we're all wearing gray flannel suits and we're all the whole record is about kind of this parody of corporate music and uh it's it's funny today i mean my god there's only what two companies left three record companies left talk about the whole thing turning corporate right and, and uh you know, it's it's a far cry. But anyway, uh, so we took, that was where the concept came from. And we kind of developed this whole thing and put our pictures on with the suits on and, you know, fee waybill motivation. And, <laughs> you know, each guy had like a, like a, you know, a, a, a theme for his, anyway. So like it's, the it's tubes just, group. it was just kind of yeah. our... It was our sarcasm. You know what? I mean, sarcasm and parody have been <laughs> our meat and potatoes for years and years and social commentary. And uh, so uh, we just thought, oh, this is so perfect. And then we came up with that, the T, you know, the white T, which was a, you know, which is a sprinkler pipe. It's PVC sprinkler pipe that we put together, you know, to make like a corporate logo T kind of thing. And uh, so it was all kind of a sarcasm. It was all a parody of, of you know, the corporate world, and and, uh, and 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 it just kind of, you know, it just kind of. I guess it kind of all it all fit together with us from going going from, you know, a little mom and pop kind of record company. A and M was Herb and Jerry, and that was it. And they had a little, you know, the little studio in L.A., the Charlie Chaplin Studios. Mm-hmm. And it was a little enclave. And Herb used to, Herb had a little office. And Herb would sit there and play his horn all day long. So you'd go to the record company and, you know, go for, like, press photos or do, do, pre, or do whatever, record. They had a little studio there. Studio A was a nice studio. And it was all encompassed in this little family kind of a thing. We even they even hired us to paint the the walls. We painted flying records on the side of the wall, and you know, and so it was all kind of a family thing with Herb and Jerry, and uh, uh, and Jerry Moss is still a you know a friend and a fan of here in L.A. and 
uh, and so that we went from that to this capital EMI kind of, you know, the round building in LA capital Records, where Frank Sinatra used to record. And, and, you know, we went from that to this big, this corporate giant, you know, and, uh, so it all kind of fit, you know, it all kind of the whole, the, the whole theme, the whole situation kind of was apropos. Well, yeah, and it works perfectly with the songs and everything. And it's just part of what it make, makes it all a masterpiece. And I hope people that are in these cities know the treat that's coming for them when you guys roll this out. So, uh, yeah, best of luck with it, man. And I, I'm telling you, I'm oh, jealous. You. I'm jealous of people in, 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 that are going to get to see this. Uh, but we have one last listener question before we wrap up. Uh, Catherine George, okay. Catherine George of uh, Athens, Georgia, asks, "What was it like working on Xanadu?" Oh, oh. <laughs> wow, Xanadu. Well, it was it was it was interesting. Uh, you know, our choreographer, Kenny Ortega, that's, we got the gig through our choreographer. And Kenny Ortega was our choreographer, and he had put together all of our shows. And he was the choreographer for Xanadu. And, uh, and uh, you know, he got us the gig to do that, got some dancing to do that song that we did yeah. in the movie. And... Uh, uh, and the, and we had no idea how it was going to work. And they, and the other, you know, like the Andrew sister kind of song, uh, uh, that that they that they and then the whole then the two songs merged together and the two stages merged together. And you know, we had no idea that they had all this figured out. And I mean, it was great. We had such a great time, and uh, we got to hang out with Olivia. And Gene Kelly, Kenny, Kenny was like completely off the in outer space, getting to work with Gene Kelly. He, I mean, that was his idol, and uh, uh, and and the whole thing was just uh, the whole thing was great. I mean, we you know we came to L.A. and we got to hang out and we were at the studio every day and it was we're making a movie and oh God, it was unbelievable. And and here it turns out to be. Gosh, I think it's, you know, like the number two cult movie of all time behind Rocky Horror Picture Show or something. Oh, yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's pretty special. It's, and, and I've, I've kind of gotten to know Olivia a little bit, you know, Rich, uh, she's, uh, uh, Richard Marks and I are, are close friends and, and Olivia lives out there in Malibu, kind of near Richard and, We've we've been to her house a few times to just chat, and she's she's a sweetheart, and and that's funny the 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 uh, connection with her. Uh, the one time that we got a Grammy nomination was in 1981, and it was for the Completion Backward Principle video, which was called the Tubes video, and we got a nomination for the video best video, and. What happened? We lost to Let's Get Physical by Olivia. So, oh, it's funny how things work out, you know. It really is. It really is. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I just want to tell everybody, remind everybody to go out and see these shows. And, Fee, it was an absolute honor. Thank you for all the music, all the shows, everything throughout the years. 
I mean, sincerely. Well, thank you. Johnny, thank you. It's been my pleasure. And, uh, uh, gosh, I don't know when the next time we'll play Georgia is. Uh, we're playing up the road there in Virginia. You know, we, we seldom go to the South, although we just we played uh, Memphis couple of weeks ago right and we hadn't been to the south in a long time but we're playing leesburg virginia on uh 29th i think or something like that of october well we'll and, see if we uh, could get a caravan going up to that but we are gonna get you here in athens georgia someday because i think okay. it just makes too much sense um but uh best of luck stay safe on the tour okay man thank you very much i appreciate your time too thank you how cool was that? Uh, go out and, and re-listen to the uh, Completion Backward Principle and uh, definitely go see the tubes if you get a chance live. Um, really, uh, just 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 a total pioneering, amazing rock and roll band, man, if there ever was one. So uh, thank you so much to Fee for sitting down with us. I mean, what an amazing chat. And that's about it for our show this week. So uh, we will see you next week. And uh, happy Halloween.